series we've called Crosswords. We've been looking at the seven last statements of Jesus from the cross, and we're working our way uh, sort of backward all the way to Easter Sunday. The words we'll be looking at that day is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Uh, so that'll be a really special Easter day where we'll be focusing on uh, the, what the cross meant in forgiveness. Today, we're looking at these words of Jesus uh, where he said to his mother uh, and to John, this is your son, in effect, uh, this is your mother. I think the average person would say the worst pain that they've ever known or could know is the suffering of their own children. I, I can't think of anything, you know, that would hurt my heart more than to watch one of my children suffer, and I think most people feel that way. I remember when I was, um, when we lived in Mississippi, and our, our five-year-old, he had just turned five, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and he was in the hospital, and it was about the second day, I think, maybe the end of the second day, we just kind of locked in there in this crisis. We were trying to get educated. The nurse told us it would take about six months to learn what we needed to know to take care of him. And uh, they told us, you know, he's ready to go home, but you're, you're not, you can't handle this. You're going to have to stay in the hospital longer, and we're going to have to keep training you so you'll understand what to do. And I could just remember breaking away from the hospital after, whatever, 30, 30 40 hours, going home and taking a shower and uh, just standing there in the emptiness um, of, our, of our bedroom uh, by myself at home. It, I think it had finally all just hit me. It all sort of piled up on me. And it, uh, maybe it's the first time I had a quiet moment to really think. And I can remember just feeling so overwhelmed uh, because of my own son's suffering. And I can remember what I prayed as I was standing there. I remember just sort of negotiating with God and saying, you know, God, why, why would you let this happen to him? He's five. I mean, what, what has he done? What has he done wrong? What has he, what has he done to deserve this? What's, what's the... Um, and then I remember saying, give it to me. I mean, I've, I've had a good life. I've lived a healthy life. I'm, I'm an adult. I've, I've lived a, a lot of life. I'm, give it to me. I'll take it. I, I, just, why, why him? He's five. What did, he, what did he do? How did this happen? And I can remember just the suffering that I felt in that moment, negotiating with God. Just give it to me and I'll take it. And I think most parents would take the pain of their children on themselves if they had the option. If not, maybe all parents. And for parents, and certainly for mothers, it's painful to watch their children suffer. Surely, for Mary, the mother of Jesus, she didn't feel any different than that. I mean, this was, this was her son. This wasn't some stranger. Surely she felt the same way about her son that we would feel about our children. Imagine Mary looking up on the cross. He was beaten. He was marred. His body was traumatized by the torture. This was her son. The same forehead that she used to kiss at night as she tucked him in to sleep was now being uh, throbbing with pain, with puncture wounds from a crown of thorns. And his hands that used to reach up and wrap around her finger are now being uh, pierced with these long spikes. And maybe this is the first time that it really dawned on her that she wasn't his child, or he wasn't her child, that she was his? There are few people near the cross that weren't Jesus' enemies. Almost everybody around was at least indifferent or an enemy. 
And from this throne of suffering, he speaks directly into the soul of his mother and his closest disciple. Look at John 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here's your son, and to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, there are a lot of insights buried in these simple words. Probably at least five or six or seven. I, I just want to uh, pull out three today that I, that I think, uh, uh, certainly they're all important. But three that seem to speak to me. Here's the first one. Women had an important role in Jesus' ministry. Now, now, before you cross that one off and say, I can check out for the next 10 minutes, because that one's really not important. Before that one looks like a footnote or a side note or sounds unspiritual, I think it's very spiritual. It speaks to Jesus' value of people. Consider the fact that there were three women standing at the foot of the cross as Jesus suffered and died. There were three Marys. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then, and then Mary, who the Bible says is the sister of the mother of Jesus. Now, before you think they're twins or somebody got confused and forgot who named the last child Mary and then named the next one Mary, it's not like that. This is probably the sister-in-law of Mary. She's the husband of Clopas, or the wife of Clopas. And so you have Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the sister-in-law of the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, three Marys, how ironic that they're there at the cross. And then John, the male and the lone disciple, knelt there at the foot of the cross. Now, Mary, the wife of Clopas, is uh, Jesus' aunt. And uh, many people believe that Joseph died when Jesus was young. Uh, certainly, we don't have any account of him in Scripture. After Jesus was 12, Joseph disappears. And it doesn't seem too far of a stretch to think, then, that Mary and Clopas, who is uh, Mary's uh, uh, sister-in-law, would, would have taken on the care and support of Jesus' mother in her husband's absence when Jesus was out traveling or whatever. Something has made this woman brave enough to sit at the cross with Jesus' mother. So Mary, the wife of Clopas, also was a woman of deep faith. We know this because her son became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem after James and Peter died. Now it's striking to note the role that women played in Jesus' ministry. Mary Magdalene, the Bible tells us, financially supported Jesus' ministry. We've already studied a few weeks ago when Jesus said, I thirst. This Samaritan woman that Jesus met uh, at the well who accepted uh, faith in Christ, who became the first missionary to the Samaritans and ultimately the pastor of the church in her town was brought to faith by Jesus himself. A woman anointed Jesus with oil in preparation for her for his death. Uh, now it was three women who had the courage to stand at the foot of the cross while Jesus died amongst all his enemies. It was uh, uh, women who first came to the tomb and found the tomb empty on Easter morning. It was a woman who first saw Christ raised from the dead. It was a woman who first announced the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus regularly shows compassion and mercy toward women in the gospel in his life, and this is absolutely counter-cultural in his day. If you want to know the heart of a culture, look at how it treats women and children. 
And that will reveal to you the heart. Everywhere Christianity goes in the world, the value of women and children go up. Many parts of the world are ruled by other religions or other philosophies or no religion at all. And women and children seem to usually pay the price. I happened to look this up just to, just to see what are the differences around the world where other philosophies or, or religions reign. How are women treated? You may not know this, in some parts of India, motorcycle passengers by law are required to wear a helmet unless you're a woman. And then you don't have to wear a helmet. It's okay if you hit your head. Because you don't have the same value as a man would. And so you can't imagine, as I was reading this, the thousands of injuries and deaths that have occurred to this. In Yemen, a woman is considered a half-witness in court. Don't even make a whole person. Also in Yemen, women, women, Yemen, Yemen, women. Also in Yemen, ladies can't leave their house without their husband's permission. In Saudi Arabia, women aren't allowed to drive. In Saudi Arabia and Morocco, rape victims can be charged with crimes. Victims of rape can be charged with crimes. What crimes would they be charged with? Leaving the house without a male companion. It's your fault you got raped, and by the way, now you're going to have to serve jail time. Being alone with an unrelated man or getting pregnant as a result of the rape could be a crime. Last year, a 16-year-old girl in Morocco committed suicide after a judge forced her to marry her alleged rapist. Can you fathom? Christianity teaches that the purpose for power and authority is to serve those weaker than you. How you deal with authority, how you deal with power, how you deal with an advantage that you have over someone else reveals everything about your heart. And Jesus modeled this by washing the disciples' feet. He modeled this when he died on the cross for us. The one who had the most power suffered and sacrificed the most. He used his power and his authority as a tool to sacrifice. Now, I'm grateful that in our tribe of Christianity, Pentecostalism, that women have been given great places of leadership and ministry. Certainly, if you were to do a study on American Pentecostalism in the early 19th, uh, 1900s, you would find that many grandmas pastored churches and led the way. If you look on TV today, you might happen to see Joyce Meyer, a very effective gospel teacher. Where does that come from? That comes from a theology <laughs> that says that there is, a, there is a, an, an effective place for women, a place of value for women, not only in society, not only in the church, but in the kingdom. And Jesus echoed this over and over and over again. And I think we need not forget that there are differences when we see the, the conversation going on on TV about uh, the allurement and how uh, uh, some of the American values are bad and some of the other values coming in are good. They're not all good. And not all our values are bad. And we need to remember that. They are rooted in Judeo-Christian value oftentimes. Here's the second thing I saw when Jesus looks at his mother in John and points out the relationship. 
Eternal relationships are more important than earthly ones. Jesus says, here is your mother, and in the next verse, I love this next verse, it says, from that time on, from that moment, this disciple took her into his home. Family relationships are transcended in the church by ties of the Spirit. In other words, there's a covenant relationship that Jesus' followers take on. As Jesus' disciples, we have a responsibility to each other, even taking the role on of a parent or a child or a brother or a sister who needs us. Now look, I think that's an absolutely dramatic and powerful message speaking straight into the soul of the 21st century American where relationships and people are disposable. Like an old cell phone, we throw people away. Marriage and divorce and remarriage and divorce and relationships and people moving from one group to another and hopping around. But, but Jesus taught in this dialogue between his mother and John, his disciple, he says, look, I know that you aren't her son, but I need for you in my absence to take care of her like you're her son. Why? Because we have an eternal relationship that transcends family relationships. This thought of John caring for Jesus' mother in his absence takes me back to our theme of the table. It's that place of sacred relationship building that we also desperately need. Jesus met so many people at the table in his lifetime. He shared the table. He was the friend of sinners. He shared the table with his disciples so many times. And now even in the closing hours of his life, Jesus is now making table-like provisions for his mother. This is the responsibility of Christian hospitality. I've been constantly amazed and refreshed by the hospitality of God's people that I've received all over the world. And not because we had an earthly, uh, because we were family members, not because we had any past or history, but simply because we have an eternal relationship. I remember uh, trips I took to Argentina and how young Christian college students just received me and my wife and our team and took care of our needs and brought us things. And I remember happy, happy, uh, happening to be in Argentina uh, on, they have a day there. We have Mother's Day, we have Father's Day, they have those. But they have a day that's kind of like Valentine's except it's National Friends Day. And on National Friends Day, one of the Argentine students gave me a gift and said, uh, Happy Friends Day, I want to be your friend. And I just thought how powerful this relationship is that we have complete strangers, humanly speaking, complete strangers on earth. But when you find God's people, when you find disciples of Christ, there is a transcendent nature to the covenant love that we have for each other. My wife and I served uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida for a time while we were in college at a Haitian church. We were the only white people there. <laughs> we were uh, all up among the islanders doing the island thing. And, and, uh, and those people took us in and treated us like their own and uh, cared for us, loved us, honored us, received us, fed us, blessed us. And you know why? Because there was an eternal relationship, there was an eternal covenant that transcended any er earthly relationship. 
When we uh, lived in Lakeland, there was a time that we went to a local church there, and I remember uh, we went to a Nazarene church for a while, and I remember this uh, family who had two teenagers that took me and Stacy and a few other college students, took us into their home, took us out to eat. They just adopted us. What is that about? They never met us. They didn't know us. We could have been axe murderers for all they know. They didn't know anything about us, but they just opened their arms and their home and their family and invited us to family events, and they adopted us. There was a man named Sonny Guy uh, when Stacy and I lived in Auburn, Alabama, who took, took us under his wing, and I ran into him a year ago, his wife a year ago, and she looks, I hadn't seen her in 15, 18 years. She looked so familiar to me, and I thought I could not place her name. And she, she walked up, put her arm around me, and said, Oh, Sonny, you'll be so mad that I saw you and that he didn't get to see you. Where did that attachment come from? It's an eternal covenant that we have among Christ followers inside the kingdom. There's a, uh, there's a uh, parents of a teenager that was in our youth group in Florida, Don and Carolyn, who became uh, grandparents. My wife and I, until recently, never had the privilege of living near relatives. And so the church was all, this was more meaningful to us than the average person. We didn't have extended family. We didn't have grandparents. We didn't have cousins or uncles or nieces or brothers or sisters. We had nobody. Except we had everybody. <laughs> this family became grandparents to us. And a year ago, we got to return back uh, into their, uh, their town, and we took them out to eat, and it was like a family reunion. Where does that come from? That, we have no natural relationship. We have no human relationship. That comes from the covenant. Jesus is looking at John and saying, this is your mother. <laughs> this lady has an eternal place in heaven. And she's your mother. And we see Jesus living this principle out earlier in his life. Once Jesus was in a crowded house teaching, and someone outside came in and said, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. He looked around the circle and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Mark 3.35 says, Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. What's Jesus trying to say to us? In eternal relationships are more important than earthly ones. Jesus' expectation that John would take care of his mother reminds us of this. So maybe you're sitting here thinking this morning, how in the world would I ever, like when I get saved, do I just inherit a relationship like that? Is somebody, am I, are you going to sit by the phone and wait for somebody to call? Are you waiting for a message uh, on Facebook? Somebody's been looking for you because you're now saved and now they're going to bond themselves to you for life? How does that happen? Let me give you an example of how that happens. I think it can happen very well in a life group. If you're not part of a life group in our church and this is home, I would encourage you, when you grow in relationship with people, covenant grows. Covenant doesn't just poof off the forehead of Zeus. Covenant grows as relationship grows and those bonds grow and the eternal value found inside those relationships grow. So if you're not uh, in a life group, you can go on our website and push connect. You can go in the foyer at the iPad there and you can push the connect button and it'll show you the life groups we have. But I just want to encourage you, that depth in the kingdom of God, as I look back over my life, would be, would be completely void and missing. Had I not stepped out there, had we not invested it, had we not received, had we not hugged people, and, and we, we never guessed what we would have received back. These valuable relationships. Now here's the, here's the last thought. 
Jesus is dying. And Mary is there knelt at the foot of the cross, one of only a few people who weren't his enemy. Here's the third point. Although we lose loved ones, we don't lose our purpose. Now this is a, a critical point. We're coming back full circle now to the mother of Jesus. Imagine her kneeling there at the foot of the cross, experiencing one painful hour after another, watching her son die, helplessly watching the inevitable. In those hours, her mind must have flashed back like a living Facebook album. Pictures of her son, scenes popping in and out of her mind, bouncing back and forth between quaint memories and the unbelievable feeling of his present suffering, shared meals, laughing together, bedtime, walking down dusty roads. Imagine this, the most important woman who ever lived, the woman who God said was highly favored, walked through the hell of losing a child. She came to understand the suffering of those who've lost a child. When we lose someone we love, we come face to face with the true impact that that person has made on us. Only then do you and I ever really understand the significance or the depth of the impact another person has made on our life until we lose them. That's, that's when we understand it. Now, there are many people in this room this morning who've lost loved ones. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've lost your parents too early. Maybe you lost a brother or sister. Uh, some have suffered through the imaginable, unimaginable nightmare of losing one of your children. Some experience loss at what life tells us is a natural time, but it's still a deep loss. How did Mary deal with it? And, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the clincher. How did Mary deal with it? Mary is a woman. Mary is a human, just like you and I. She's at the foot of the cross watching her child, her son, suffer and hurt. After Jesus died, he rose from the dead. He appeared to many people. He went to heaven. He tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. They all join together in prayer. And guess who's with them? The mother of Jesus. What happened to Mary? We only have one other instance. Acts 1.14. They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Mary lost her son, but she did not lose her purpose. When you endure significant loss, I guarantee you, your identity and your purpose will be challenged. You, when you suffer, your identity and your, and your purpose, your destiny will come into question. Mary is saying, I'm, I've given birth to God the Son. I'm sitting here in horror watching him die. He's dead. He rises from the dead, he lives, he ascends to heaven, and now what does she do? What does she do? What does she do? He's gone. It looks like from Scripture her husband's probably been gone, and now her son's gone. Here's the good news. She didn't die with Jesus. The announcement of the angel as a teenage girl that she was blessed and highly favored is still real in her life. She'd been given a mission from God and although her son died, her mission did not end. 
When you look at the disciples gathered there in the upper room, praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit, waiting for this new season to birth in of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit, waiting for the foundation of the church to be set, Mary is right there in the middle of them. And I just want to say this word to you this morning. If you've endured some kind of loss, you've not lost your purpose. Regardless of how it feels. I want to ask the worship team to join me now. You've not lost your purpose. You've not lost your destiny. So I just want to ask you to stand with me this morning. And I want to, I want to close this service in a really unusual way. I want to ask the prayer team just to, just to hold steady for a minute where you are. This morning, th this prayer time won't necessarily be for everybody. But who it's for, it's really for. This morning, if you've, if you've lost someone close to you, it could be 10 years ago, and maybe today you're completely healed, and you're doing well, thank God. Maybe you lost a husband or a wife or a child, and, uh, and maybe it's been not long ago, and man, it's still in your face, and you're struggling. There will be every possible scenario imaginable given this morning. But what I want to ask you to do, I want to have a moment of special prayer with you. For those of you, for those of you who've lost someone close, I want to ask you if you would, would you just come and join me right here and I just want to simply pray, pray with you. Would you come and join me if you've had a loss in your life? Would you come and join me? I just want to pray with you. And I want to take from Mary's life the, the wisdom and the power that your life had over. Today, if you're struggling with your own purpose, what is your purpose in life? You're struggling with your destiny. You're struggling with God's will for your life. You come on and join us too. Come and join us too. We want to pray for you. I'm just going to ask our prayer team now, if you would, just filter in and just put your hands on somebody's shoulder. This is what the body of Jesus is. It's a healing family where we heal. And I, 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 I want to tell you something. Because you lost someone doesn't mean that you lost your personality or your giftings or your talent. Every experience you ever had with God is just as real as it ever was. The things that God said to you early in your life when your loved one was with you, He knew this was going to happen and those words are still true. And He's not backed away from them. You have purpose. You have purpose. The enemy tries to speak purposelessness over us. But God speaks purpose. You have an identity. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. And you, you, you can still be everything God made you to be. That loss doesn't change that. You've not lost that. And when Mary got up away from that cross and she walked into that upper room in Jerusalem and lifted her hands with that early church. Can you imagine how hard that must have been for her? But man, God met her there. 
she went on she went on and so this morning I just want to have a special prayer with you church would you just I guarantee you everybody in this room will stand here one day everybody everybody loses somebody sometime would you just stretch your hands toward these let them feel your support and your love Lord this morning I thank you today for the love of God that will not disappoint us that will not let us down Lord I thank you today for these who have stepped forward and said Lord I believe you I take a step of faith and I receive in my life today your love would you just do would you just say that if you're here say Lord I receive your love this morning I receive your love for me you don't love me less now you love me as much as you've ever loved me Lord I receive your love today I walk in your love today I walk in your grace today I walk in your healing today I receive faith I receive destiny I receive purpose Lord I am valuable because you died for me my life will go on in power my life will go on in courage my life will go on Lord I pray that you would anchor and root in more deeply this morning the purposes that you have in these men and women. Lord, in their lives, they are, they are special to you. Every tear that they lose, every tear that they cry is special to you. Every pain they felt is special to you. And Lord, I speak over them this morning a blessing. And I speak over them your favor. I speak over them your anointing and your life and your power. God, I speak into their soul healing. Oh, when we lose a loved one, we lose part of ourselves, but we don't lose our purpose. So God, I speak, I speak, Lord, that you would take this thing that's been tragic and you would make something good come out of it. Lord, that new life somehow would come from it. Lord, there'd become a destiny, there'd come a, a compassion and a shared pain. Lord, for those who continue to grieve this morning, I pray, God, that you would continue to walk them through. Your Holy Spirit's called the Comforter. And God, I pray you would comfort today and continue to heal. Lord, continue to peel off those layers of suffering and hurt. And Lord, continue to walk them through healing. God, I pray your, your life, your power, your favor. God, I pray your mercy and kindness on this group this morning that you would help shoulder the load take the weight of this burden and make it lighter God we love you today we thank you for your healing grace we thank you for your healing grace we thank you for your healing grace in Jesus name